0: Today's scripture reading comes from Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 17. And today's sermon title is Your King is Coming to You. Again, the scripture reading comes from Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 17. And today's sermon title is Your King is Coming to You. And so this is God's holy and inerrant word starting in verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore you double, for I have bent Judah as my bow. I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons O Zion against your sons of Greece and wield you like a warrior's sword. Then the Lord will appear over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts will protect them, and they shall devour and tread down the sling stones. And they shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine, and be full like a bowl, drenched like the corners of the altar. On that day the Lord their God will save them. As the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his hand, on the land. For how great is his goodness, and how great his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish, and new wine, the women, young women. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, Renewal. Um, For those of you who don't know me, my name is David Kim. I'm one of the pastors here at Renewal Mainline, and it's such a privilege and an honor to uh, worship with you and bring you God's Word from Zechariah this morning. We just come out of our recent sermon series on suffering where we talked about all kinds of the aspects of suffering, the beginning of it, the end of it, And also, we got to see a way to understand the purpose of suffering, as well as an antidote to suffering. Through these sermons, um, we actually got to find hope and find solace in God's Word, but especially not just in the message, not just the idea, but in a person. This person appeared, keep appearing. This person as central figure in every sermon, That was none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. And today, I'd like to invite you to explore this powerful message of hope found in Zechariah, especially chapter 9, where the prophet speaks of this prophecy about the coming king, a righteous, humble ruler who brings salvation, who brings peace, ultimate justice in his reign for the world. So, but many of the methodologies of the world we got to visit uh, through our series for how it tries, how it attempts to understand and endure through suffering, through times of need, times of suffering. But and, and the world attempts to answer life's struggles and our conditions. It tries to deal with it. It tries to offer ways to work with it. And with many, if not all, there's an underlying groundwork that actually uh, that work. Uh, on top of that, what they're trying to do is to try to answer these things away from God. Uh, so take God out of the picture. That's what we're trying to do. That's the world, what the world is trying to attempt. And unfortunately, we fall into that. I constantly fall into such attempt, even this past week, to try to answer away, try to reason away trying to find ways to deal with things without God. I found myself doing that in light of uh, devastations that we got to witness the past week, the shooting that occurred. Um, And and that just reminded me, emotionally brought me back to uh, the feeling, the power, the weight of suffering. And so, to say that I was um, my heart was heavy was an understatement, and I felt like I hit the bottom of it. The thought and emotion kept, kept coming, kept popping up in my head like a throbbing pain, asking, how could this happen? How could this happen again? How could this happen still happen in 2023? It took a while for me to Get to the layer, the deeper layer to my thoughts and my emotions. Because I initially took it for uh, face value. I didn't explore the underlying beliefs. But I got to the bottom of some groundwork, at least, some premises that I didn't know that I was holding on to, that I was operating on. Um, When I said, How could this happen? I didn't see the idolatrous approach that I didn't know that I was deeply operating on. It was me giving a lot of credit to humanity. I thought we were better than this. That's the emotion that I had. I thought we were better than this. What happened? How could this happen? How could such horrendous things happen since we've gotten so far in history we've gotten so developed we've gotten so much better how could this still happen i didn't realize that that was different confession than what i actually confessed with my mouth when i said i was a christian my christian biblical belief i confessed something else i confessed of totality of human depravity i did believe i said that we weren't that great yet when these things take place I operated on something else. I elevated the value, the potential, the credit of humanity that I was part of. It was this humanism being elevated over what it actually deserved. That was what I was struggling through, a form of idolatry, of myself, a worship of humanity deeply working in me, unknowingly, unaware, especially emotionally that I was not only appalled but was in this mode of surprise how could this happen all these things achievements i am confident actually that i'm not the only one here that that's feeling this and i'm pretty sure that i didn't come up with this in my head i'm not blaming anybody else i'm owning it but i'm also saying that a lot of people share this this sentiment there's a popular teaching that's going around for thousands of years that you and I are exposed to us, the systematized teaching that we should be better, that we are better, that we are pretty good. What is that secular humanism? That, is, that promotes that we, humanity, through our own reason and abilities, we can solve our problems. And you know that the world truly believes or attempts to believe that we create a better world without the need of God. But we know that worship of humanity is not the only one that dictates us, that tempts us to believe in, to hold on to. That's not the only preaching of society. Substitute anything of that blank, anything, anyone with where God needs to be, and you could get that form of idolatry because you are worshiping it. You're thinking that that would work. For example, you put money in there as materialism, that money would solve everything. To put relationship, emotions, joy, and you get hedonism. While we try our best to believe that these things would work, the truth is, and unfortunately we know for a fact that all these things fall short in really working, especially fails to address the deeper needs and longings of the human heart, most especially the most painful ones. Today's passage provides different message a different profound solution to the challenges that we face in this world and the solution is not an idea solution is not a conclusion it's a person it's a king as we dive into this passage we'll discover the significance of the prophesied king and we'll see how this coming king brings hope he brings peace and transformation that cannot be found in any other way. Uh, So as we begin our journey through Zechariah 9, allow me to pray for us. Dear gracious Father, we humbly come to you this morning. We pray that you would open our hearts and minds to the truth of your own word and to the hope that is found in our King amidst the pain and confusion of suffering and tragedy, would you let us find comfort and strength in the knowledge that King Jesus is the ultimate answer to our deepest needs and longings, far beyond what any other voice can provide. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, before we dive into uh, seeing the king, who this king is, I'd like to just briefly uh, touch upon the essential context to understand Zechariah. The prophet Zechariah uh, ministered during the post-exilic period after the Israelites had returned from Babylonian captivity. And his primary mission was to encourage these people to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, which had been destroyed during their exile. And Zechariah's prophecies were a blend of visions, symbolic actions and oracles. They were crazy things that he was seeing and he was telling people. Flying scrolls, these four horns and uh, four craftsmen measuring tape, through all of these prophecies, the Israelites were hearing the message of hope, message of faithfulness and obedience. Now, uh, why were they exiled? Why were the Israelites historically exiled? That actually um, shares the—definitely share the significance of the original audience, but we also get to relate to that because why were they exiled? Who gets exiled usually? Being exiled uh, was one of the most common ways of punishment for people who committed treason. Uh, Since it cuts off that person from being a member of the nation, it was synonymous to death, death sentence. That was treason that was dealt by death sentence, exile. Israel was only reliving the human history that began with the first representative of the race of humanity, what Adam and Eve did, that was treason in its nature. Every sin, therefore, in its nature, is treason against the Creator because it represents a rebellion against God's sovereign authority and His goodness. So when Adam sinned, that was a rejection of the maker of the world, and the penalty was death, to be cut off from God. And it is that sin that continued to reign in humanity, to worship to let us not only be reigned by it and be controlled by it, but we worshipped it. We continued to be ruled by it in our hearts and to attempt to rise against our Creator. So the Israelites had to live this as, an, as a nation. Their idolatry led them to physically and historically be exiled. That's basically the Old Testament, the human history actually with humanity, where humanity is constantly rebelling against the Creator and we see God's gracious and constant pursuit for his people that was where this israelites were in this text and and by the grace of god they now finally have returned again from the exile and now they're in the ruins and now they need to rebuild from that mess and that's where they are and up to this point zechariah has been sharing all these crazy great messages but portions partially to them saying here's your hope Here is your faith. Here is your power. And he was sharing God's vision for Israel's future, including promises of renewal, protection, and even rebuilding of Jerusalem. And then we reach chapter 9. The scope of such promise here and there, it's now zoomed in, and the camera turns to one scene, and it says, verse 9, today's passage says, Behold, look. It says, look, look at what? Look at this figure. Behold, your king is coming to you. So who is this king? This, this humble, righteous king. It says, he rides on a donkey. He is righteous, and he will bring peace. So what kind of king is this? This message is actually something that we are all yearning for, even today in the midst of suffering All these secular methods, none of the methods work. And with that desperate need of hope and assurance, here Zechariah tells us look, look at this person. So let's look at this person. Let's see who he is. Turn to verse 9. Let me read that for us. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. It says, Rejoice greatly and shout aloud. Uh, what kind of scene is this? When are you rejoicing greatly and when are you shouting aloud? Have you ever watched um, Eagles game, if you're Eagles fan, or if you're not? Or have you ever watched any game? Have you ever—please rem- tell me, don't tell me now, but please tell yourself, do you have that experience of vocally, audibly screaming— for a touchdown or a goal or whatever that made you scream physically and let you realize that, oh, that's loud. I, I don't usually scream that loud. Have, do you recall that? In other words, do you ever scream like that in normal life? Because if you do in that volume, there's a problem because you shouldn't usually scream to that decibel unless you're screaming, shouting out loud for joy, joy that deserves that kind of volume. That happens when you are awaiting, when, you're, when you are celebrating something that you've been waiting for, something that you've been yearning. That's why Zechariah is saying, look, rejoice, and scream out loud because here he is. Here is whom you've been waiting for, your king is coming to you this main character has arrived main person for the whole of history is finally here and every second we spend on to see what he's like what he does what he pro- what pro- what he promises to do all these things get better and better because look let me read this he says righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey on a cold a fold of a donkey uh, we're listing up the qualification of this king. Who is he? What is he like? First, he is righteous, and he has salvation, meaning he owns it, and now he is humble. This king is the qualification of the king that Israelites were looking for, waiting for. Why does it matter that he should have been righteous? Because that's exactly what we lacked. We didn't have that righteousness. We lost it in the beginning when Adam lost it by entering into sin. That was ever since the fall. We were made in the image of God with the righteousness, but we lost it. And here is the king that brought it back. Here it is. We have it back. But what about here? He has salvation. Having salvation, what does that mean? Notice how it doesn't say he brings salvation. Notice how he doesn't say he achieves salvation. It says having salvation is he. That means he owns it. Let me tell you the significance of that. Have you guys ever gotten on a first-class flight? Because I haven't. I've gone on a... So don't tell me if you did, because um, I won't be jealous, but, but I got on a business seat once. That was a long time ago, when my parents and I were traveling to San Francisco, and we were supposed to get on an economy seat, and that was normal, and, you know, going to U.S. from South Korea, yay, just travel, and then they called my parents, you know, on the announcement, and then we didn't recognize it, and we were like, oh, well, and then we went there, and then they said, hey, you're getting a business seat uh, for 12 hours of the flight, and that was my first time. And then I asked, and that was in sixth grade, I asked, uh, why is this happening? And my father decides to tell me that that was because he is a special person. He, he is like a VIP. Uh, later, Only later I found out that um, that was just mileage, that he had a lot of mileage. So I guess he is special, but that bumped him up to a business class and all of us. So that was my first experience, and, and, and the sheer uh, room of that leg room, was astonishing it was it was glorious as opposed to economy class and it was amazing and then i was sourcing it and saying wow look at that you brought this my father made this happen now that's cool if he made that happen in that way it didn't even happen that way but imagine imagine if my father said actually we're going to first class right now why dad actually i haven't told you but i own this place I actually own the whole airline. Did you know that? Like, that's a completely different story. I'm not saying that that's what happened, uh, but that's actually what is happening here. We are hearing that, yeah, the king is here, and he's bringing salvation that you and I have been waiting for. But he says, not only that, I actually own it. It's mine. I possess the power the efficacy of this salvation that's the strength of this king his qualification he owns it and when you think about th- that type of figure you have some form of image right when you see when you meet that kind of figure who owns a lot of things a big quality of things you have different perspective on that person oh wow that weird that amazing perspective But what's weirder is actually he actually gives the next scene which is his humility the person who owns salvation is coming on a donkey that is the weird contrast of the scene where you would expect him to be on a war horse a powerful war horse riding arrogantly and confidently saying i have brought salvation I have brought victory. But now you're hearing this random figure riding on a donkey, the most meek vehicle of the time, shows that he's actually willing to put the needs and welfares of others above his own desires and ambitions. He was going to care about what you and I are going through. We came first. That was a different scene. Who is this person? Now, the difference between the original audience that's hearing this and us is that they actually haven't met this guy. They're getting this as a prophecy. As opposed to us, we actually know this person. And that's what Jen and Pastor Nick were talking about that yes, he is coming to you, but he has come to us. He is King Jesus Christ. So he was righteous, he was sinless. His nature of sinless quality and His perfect obedience to the will of the Father. He fulfilled such righteousness, and He spoke to His role as the promised Savior whose life, death, and resurrection would bring salvation to all who believe in Him. Throughout the Old Testament, we see prophecies pointing to the coming of this Messiah who would save His people, and this is why in Hebrews He can be referred to as the author of salvation. And this humbleness is, was shown in Christ himself. We get to hear that in the actual entrance. We get to see that in Matthew 21. Imagine the anticipation, the years of awaiting, and this king finally has come. That's why the people were celebrating. They were screaming. They were rejoicing. Hosanna. He has come. Our Lord has come. He is here. Just imagine that sense of chill that you get when you actually grew up for years and for years to hear that king will come riding on a donkey, and now here he is actually coming in to Jerusalem in such image. So with such qualifications, then what does Jesus actually come to do as such king? What he did, he achieves a lot of things. Let me share some things. First, he achieves salvation. Verse 10 and 12, verse 10 through 12, we see the coming king depicted as one who achieves salvation for his people. We will dive much deeper into this later in Good Friday and Easter of just how much and what he did. But how can Zechariah say that salvation belongs to this king? Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans 10 speak of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Which secured salvation for all who believed in him. Through his death on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, making it possible for us to be reconciled to God. That's how he achieves salvation. And how does he bring peace? Zechariah chapter nine, verse ten. Let me read that part. Let me actually some point out some things that Zechariah says. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the war horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. The king shall speak peace to the nations. He is actually talking about Ephraim and Jerusalem representing two different significant entities for the Israelite audience. They were against one another. Ephraim, the city for the northern tribe, northern Israel, and Judah, represented by Jerusalem. They were segregated. They were hostility. There was hostility there. They were not united. But... This king is coming to break all the instruments of hostility. And this is to emphasize the unity and peace that future Messiah brings through Christ, how he does that in his salvific work. And then what does he do here? He starts to reign in us. He, he doesn't stop at the ending of the war. He doesn't stop at achieving Ending the hostility, he actually starts reigning us. Peace to the nation. He said, it says, His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. That was the promise. So, in Jesus' first coming, the kingdom of God is inaugurated. It starts, that victory starts, just as it's mentioned in Mark 1 and Luke 17, where the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here. And the significance of all these things that Christ has done to all of us here is that He frees us from slavery to sin, from from slavery of sin. Verse 11, it says, As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Waterless pit. That's how we are depicted in terms of where we are in suffering, in this struggle, waterless pit. If we're, if we're honest enough, that's what living in this life, living in this world feels like, to be stuck in waterless pit. Wherever you are, you know, you and I know that all these material goods, all the other things that are provided for us, don't really satisfy us, don't quench our thirst. We still feel like we are thirsty this waterlessness is there and pit as in we feels like it can't get out it depicts that image of slavery living as exiles hopeless in suffering and into this waterless pit this king is reaching out reaching out and grabbing us and setting us free so what is this how do we make sense of this when we look around and, and not see the peace that is fulfilled, and not see his reign full, completely fulfilled. It's not there yet, it feels like. What do we do? There's this tension that I would like to introduce you guys. You guys probably know this too, but um, there's this concept that we want to maintain, and it's called the already but not yet. That provides a good tension for our understanding of where this life actually is. It understands the kingdom of God has been inaugurated through Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection, but its complete fulfillment is yet to fully be consummated, established at the second coming of Christ. So yes, it is here. Yes, King is here. But what he promises to do, what he promised that he did do already it's not fulfilled, it's not lived out in our lives, it's not complete. That's why that what he will do ultimately is also a very important future that we want to hold on to. Ultimate fulfillment of Christ's kingship. He brings peace, he brings rule, he brings justice that is unlike our experience to its extent Verse 14 to 17 actually describes that futuristic reign, futuristic peace, futuristic justice. Christ's kingship will be fulfilled. That everlasting peace will be here where there is no more tears, where there is no more suffering. His rule will be here ultimately when we are no longer ruled by our treason-like desires, His justice will be here, will be here, will be here, but when? But when? How do we live this 2023? What do we do? And that's actually the last point, what Zechariah calls us to do ever since the beginning of this passage. He calls us to live a life of praise and worship, living the faithful life in sanctification. First, he calls out that rejoice, rejoice, and scream, shout out. We are to offer our worship and adoration to King Jesus, acknowledging his lordship and authority in our lives. As the psalmist writes in Psalm 95, he says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. We are to praise Him. But that praise also entails finding rest in Him. Finding rest in Him. Peace. Finding peace in Him. That King provides us such sense of peace. Our sense of strength and validity of this call comes from the fact that battle belongs to the Lord. The victory belongs to the Lord. Let me ask you if you have this kind of experience. Have you ever experience something, experience some kind of responsibility, some kind of project that was unbearable, that was too heavy, a project at work or school or a sense of responsibility. And that was my daughter's experience with her first um, attempt to make scrambled eggs. And um, I could say it because she's not listening, and Anytime soon, she won't know how to listen to podcasts just yet, but so I could t- talk about her. Um, she offered to make scrambled egg, eggs for, for our whole family, and already by that, that was, that was good for her, good for her. But on the other hand, I'm like, oh, uh, you haven't done that. I didn't say that, but you haven't done that. You don't know how to do it. Um, it's hot. You could get burnt. Uh, you don't know where the pans are. You don't know anything, but I didn't say that um and and the cute thing was she's asking uh where are these things (laughs) and uh, she asks me of all these sources and uh, i give her but what i did was um that was still her project and um she kept asking to uh, leave myself out right i got this i got this dad i got this and then and then so i actually stepped away from her and i was trying to hear her and then you know because i'm i'm worried um I hear this gruntle, right? Because oh, she doesn't know how things work. And she was trying to do it on her own way. She, she was trying to bear the weight. And, and I, I waited patiently. <laughs> I waited patiently. She said, Apa, And then she would ask me stuff. And I'm right there. And every time I'm offering my help for her, I would see her face. And there is this sense of peace. That, okay, well, I got this. I got this. Because he's right there. This is a bad example compared to what God is providing. What Christ the king is providing. What's great about it is it would be bad if Christ the king is not humble. And he says, you know what? Get out of the way. Let me make your scrambled eggs. It's actually mine. What are you doing? But this king knows us. He is humble, and he approaches us. He feels us. He knows what we're going through, and he wants us to be a part of this kingdom. So he says, please do these things. Let me enable you to do so as the king, as the owner of this world. That was Matthew 11 where he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Remember our previous sermon from Pastor Bill. Do not be anxious about anything. Philippians 4. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Today's text from verse 14 to 17 This talks about prosperity of Israelites. This talks about that peace, that rest, that beauty, the greatness of that experience. Verse 17 says, For how great is his goodness and how great his beauty. Not because it was over. Not because everything was over, but because the king is here. So do you find rest? Do you find peace in Christ? Do you walk? Do you fight? Do you live on with such peace? Now, it's not you and I know that it's not paradise that we're called to be. This haven that you're supposed to find rest, meaning peaceful and just nothing horrible happening. Just just find rest. This amazing beach is where you're supposed to be. That's actually not where we're called to be. If you have read Ephesians and Ephesians chapter 6 especially, our reality right now is described as a warfare. We're still in war. And yes, so unfortunately, there are so many countries that are still at war physically against nations. But we're actually at a greater war, which is the bigger battle, the ultimate battle, which is the spiritual warfare. The difference is that the king has come, and the king has declared and established victory. What's happening now in our lives is that now we're living it out. We're living out his reign, his kingdom, and we're actually, we're making it happen in our lives. That's what we call sanctification. That's Romans 6, to 23. Paul says that now we have been set free from sin, and then now who, where is our identity? Now we are possessed by this king, this good king. It even says we're now slaves to Christ, but in a different manner than we understand slaves to be we are now indebted to him we are now owned by this good king and though what is the result of this life the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's an eternal life for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of god is the eternal life in christ jesus our lord so now we're living that by god's authority By Jesus' power, his guidance and protection under this king. That whole process, this is our perspective of sanctification. Isn't it tough to live that? To hold on to both? To think that we won, but to not think that we still have won? Have you ever watched uh, that kind of game? Once again, that game analogy, where you made... um, I was at the opposite end of the game uh, last year when South Korea was going against Brazil. And um, it was 4 v 0 and it was very disheartening. Um, If there are Brazilians here, I have no qualms against you. Um, They're just good. But we had hopes up. But um, we lived. We lived through that agony and there was like five more minutes of, and then it was something like five more minutes and it was still 4-0. And then finally, they made a goal, and they're like, "We were like, yeah!" But it wasn't—it wasn't a scream of joy. It was like a like tear, yeah. It was oh man, it was sad. But imagine being on the other side. And here's where their relevance is, but it's not exactly identical because the Brazilians and the Bra- Brazilian audience watching that game, it would be unfair for you to say, "Okay, it's done, it's over." That's not what the that's not what the athletes did. They, they ran the game. They played the game until the whistle blew. But they knew. They knew that game was over. Kind of like that for our lives. Christ has won the victory. It's done. But the game's going on. And he says, go ahead. It, yes, I've done it. We won, but run it keep pushing it you got this and here's the beauty of it you would be anxious if it depended on you right that last second up to that last kneeling and the the kicking and now i switched to football but, but you're in that anxiety and then when that whistle blows, you're like yay that is not christian life the end is done but he says please do faithfully run the game i got some more work to do you know what we got some more work to do that's what this passage actually talks about when it talks about god actually grabbing ephraim as a bow grabbing judah as an arrow these two different groups that was hostile that looked like it wasn't going to achieve any form of harmony and unity, God is the one grabbing these different people and aiming at His goal. And He's grabbing all these other worlds to wield it like a warrior, like a warrior's sword. He's fighting the battle, and we're the instrument on His hand, at the hand of Almighty. So, what are we called to do? You're supposed to rejoice. Rejoice. You're supposed to enjoy. But also, you're supposed to fight that battle because that is there. When that emotion kicks in, when there's a sense of injustice out there, yes, it should kick in, but not just that one, but to relate, to understand that we participated in such treason. Because you and I know that sense, that temptation of treason will continue to pop up until we are fully fully sanctified but what's different is that king is right here with us king empowers us enables us to fight that and he is saying it is doable my yoke is light so please repent and put faith in me that is our personal battle that sanctification has personal tone to it but that corporal tone tone to it too not only personal, but as people. Verse 13 is beautiful where he talks about these different people and that's what our image is about the life of church, the church, and to promote this growth, this unity among fellow believers as we hear Ephesians 4. Have you read Ephesians 4 talking about the body of Christ? Together, it says, as the body of Christ, we are called to pursue holiness and Christ-likeness spurring one another on toward love and good deeds, and that was Hebrews 10. So we're called to submit to our king, his lordship, both personally and corporately. And then, what does does it enable us to do? What do we reap? We are actually reaping and enabled by the power of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, where we're talking about love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. All of these things are necessary for this continuing of the battle. You need these things. You need patience to await when you see God. When? Till when should we suffer? Till when this injustice continues? Till when will I scream at my kid and say sorry for the thousandth time? Till when my kid will disobey me? Till when will my coworkers gossip behind me? Till when will I be tempted to cheat? Till when? Fill in the blank. We need patience. And that is Holy Spirit's fruit. You ask for it. And God gives you that. So please continue to ask. When you're fighting with your gentle heart, your loving heart, please ask the King. Please recognize His presence and ask him, Lord, I need this. In this battle, I need this fruit. So please help me out here. So let me conclude with this. Is there anything in your life today that you still go back to as a substitute of a king? Do you continue to reach out as if you're still in that pit and to say, what do I need? What else do I need other than God? What kind of false promise does it make to you? Does it ask you to seek it so by gaining it, you will find true peace? Are you being encouraged to put hope in yourself? Are you being told, you got this, it's in you, so please get here. Please get better. Please help yourself and then get to us. Which king are we serving? If you're patient, if your experience is something like this waterless pit, this desperation, constantly enslaved by the desire to overcome our true king. Please hear the good news for how great is his goodness and how great his beauty. Your king is coming to you. Indeed, he has come. And to personally to you, he is coming right now because remember how I said earlier he reaches out to grab us by the waterless pit? Technically, there's a better image That doesn't actually do justice to what Christ has actually done. Christ doesn't reach out that way. He actually comes down. He comes down to where you are, and then He kneels down for us to step on Him. So by His sacrifice, by His death, that we could live, and by His resurrection, that we could rise with Him. So would you repent and put faith in our true King, Jesus Christ. May we continue to grow in our understanding of Christ's kingship and live in the light of his glorious return. Let's pray.